Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey, Aaron Peter, and Matt Brusseau. Hello folks, welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, the Patreon edition of the program. My name is John Fahey, joining me as always, perhaps the most handsome man alive today or yesterday or the days before or to come, Mr. Aaron Joseph Peter. Yes, um, very astute observation, John. Mm -hmm. I am a fourth dimensional handsome man. Yes, yeah, you're like... uh, Kang the Conqueror of yes, Good Looks. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> smells handsome. It, it, it knows no bounds. <laughs> um, how are you, John? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I You're had a real cute. fun time with uh, your Pete episode yesterday. That yes. was that a real was good time. Fun, that huh? was fun. That was. That oh, was man. great. Man, I, I really had a, a blast reading that book and and hearing all those stories. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I watched a lot of videos of him goofing around on a basketball yeah. court. That was fun. Him and Red Auerbach. Oh, Brett Auerbach, like, just not knowing what to think about oh, what he was doing. Oh, look at this guy. Whoa. He's like a Bob Cousy at feet. <laughs> Aaron, uh, you're neglecting uh, introducing perhaps the most unseemly attractive man yes. of all times also. Uh, well, I'm neglecting it because I'm threatened. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. But when you are... Uh, uh, you can't avoid it forever, man. When you consider yourself the... Uh, the sole handsome power in the universe, and then you you realize that there is perhaps two. Right. Uh, you don't want to you don't want to address it, but of course the the man to my right is Matt Rousseau. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Maybe it's a multiverse type <gasps> of thing. Oh well, then that's all. Yeah. The so problem I don't right over, there. Don't worry about it. Right. Right. Well, I think about it like it's time and space. Oh, you know, okay. It's two huh. different things. It's a continuum. Oh, right, good, right, good. Good. And good. they work in tandem. Ah, you see what I mean? Very good. Mm. It's kind of like Cool Runnings. Yes, it is. It's exactly like Cool Runnings. Time well, and space. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I uh, I have a I have a little thing, a little dandy I might share with you guys later. That I think I kind of I I I, I broke into a little bit before the the show when we rambled to each other. Uh huh. Um, but first and foremost, uh, the agenda today belongs to. Young Matthew Boucher. I'm oh. excited for a little dandy, but first we'll we'll go through this. How Who about told that? you I was a little dandy? Oh, you're a big <laughs> you're a big dandy to me, Aaron. All right, thanks. Today's profile is a man that Kurt Vonnegut wrote a chapter about. Bob Dylan wrote a song featuring him. Maybe Monty Python based a character off of him. Uh, he was mentioned in Death Valley Days, Fantasy Island, I Love Lucy, and. Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. <laughs> wow. The classics. Wow. He was the longtime partner of the uh, greatest uh, entertainer of the, ni- the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th, Lillian Russell. Mm. Of course. Mm-hmm. Famous Lillian Russell. Yes. I mean, needs no introduction, Lillian Russell. No. <laughs> Maybe I'll introduce her in another. <laughs> and his name was Diamond Jim Brady. Diamond Jim Brady, huh? Good name. I was reminded of him because of Pistol Pete. Talking about good nicknames. Ah, mm, yes. Yes. I thought you were going to say Diamond Dallas Page. I, I guess I should have thought of that then, too. Yeah. Well, we'll cover him another time. Sure, sure. But this Diamond Jim Brady, why don't you... Diamond Jim Brady. Tell me about him. He was born James Buchanan Brady, August 12th, 1856, New York City. 
to Irish immigrants Daniel Bra- Daniel Brady, or maybe John Brady. Um, mm. Different sources. Mm. And his mother was Mary Brady. No one contests that. Okay, good. Yes. His father, uh, Daniel, or John, he ran a waterfront saloon on the corner of Cedar and West Streets on New York's lower west side. Mm-hmm. So is the debate that this man's name was either Daniel or John, or is it that she doesn't... Could the father be one Daniel, or, or could the father be one John? My guess, Are there two different my people, guess, or is it one man with two different names? My guess is uh, it's the uh, the Irish thing where you go by your middle name a lot. Right, right. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's that's my guess. Because or it's that, that Irish thing where they fuck just whoever. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they fucking <laughs> Tyler Durden themselves though and become a different goddamn person. You know what I mean? I don't know, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Daniel versus John is probably. Everybody goes man, by everybody goes by their middle name, but right, right, it, right. Your, your name is your name. Well, he, he had, right, Francis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he had an older brother who was reportedly named after his dad, and his older brother's name was Dan. Right. But according to some things on the internet, John, whatever, okay. it doesn't matter. All that matters is that <laughs> 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 James Buchanan. It was his birth name. He would later go by Jim, and then eventually Diamond Jim. And the only thing that was consistent throughout his whole life was that he never drank alcohol. Mm. And why is that? Well, maybe it's because his father ran a saloon. Saw the ugly side of it. Right. And he saw how much his father worked and never made any money. And maybe that's when his father died in 1863 and he was seven and Mary Brady became Mary Lucas when she married a John Lucas. Uh Uh-oh. And John Lucas kicked all the Irish out of the bar and brought in, turned into a sailor's bar. Mm. Then John Lucas would do things like he'd take money from ship captains and he would spike their drinks and knock the men out. And then they would wake up shanghai on a ship. They were shanghai Too late to turn back. Are you serious? Serious. Why would he do that? Because he got some good scratch from it. Wow. And so once you're on a ship, you're basically forced to work on it? Pretty much. There's really nowhere you could go when you're on a boat. Well, I'm on this ship. I might as well make the best of it type of thing. The fucking longest hangover (laughs) ever. (laughs) What am I going to wake up? Is, um... Tough yeah. night, huh? That's Guess being, where you are. That's the what being Shanghai is? <laughs> yes, that's what being Shanghai is. Hmm. Unless you're in Shanghai, then it's probably a different meaning. Yeah, it's probably like, ah, I've been San francisco <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome, sailor. <laughs> and maybe he'd ever drink. Another reason is that when Jim was 11, John Lucas demanded that Jim and his brother Dan drop out of school and work the saloon. Oh. And so, you know what they did? Dan ran away, and he got a job as a bellboy at the St. James Hotel on Broadway and 26th Street. Huh. It was 1867, and the Civil War was over, and the city was booming. All kinds of men and money were coming in. And out. <laughs> and in again, I imagine. <laughs> Being a bellhop was good work. Yeah. You know, you see rich people would come in, maybe they'd tip you. But you're just you're you're going from a saloon with these uh, rap scallions to all of a sudden you're with the you're hobnobbing with the hobnobbers. Yeah, <laughs> hobnobbing with rap scallions and Shanghai with yeah Dan or Jim or John. Mm-hmm. So three months later, uh, a job opened up and and Dan uh, told Jim to go and take it. And Jim showed up and he took it. He worked as a bellhop and a bartender and a messenger boy. And as the messenger boy, he realized he really enjoyed the messaging. 
Because what do you do? You, you take a letter from somewhere and you bring it to someone who's important and they give you a tip. Mm-hmm. Maybe they give you a little bit of information. You meet some new people. And so suddenly he was making enough money, he would take a day off every Sunday. And he'd go to the old fish market. And then he'd go to the eel market. Mm-hmm. And then he'd go to the oyster market. Only a penny for an oyster back then. Wow. Ah. How much for an eel? Well, it was uh, I think it was a dollar a pound. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Maybe it was less. It was probably less. Probably like 10 cents. Probably less. This is one of the mo- times I didn't write down what the conversion was. Well, right. th- no, nobody's perfect. I mean, uh, next the, time. The, the, next the, time. When you, you get it, you, you get some status, and you you, you just. Oh, you got that eel money. Oh, you think you're so fancy with all your eels? Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll be over here with our oysters while you're up there eating those sea worms. Why don't you go get Shanghai? <laughs> I'm sure oysters are probably were were probably were they more fancy than eels? Uh, oysters I, I were quite the delicacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's something that. We'll get back to. Oh, cool, oh. cool, cool, cool. You know, John, I hear they make you nut real hard. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I think I heard that they make you want a nut. Oh. That's a, a libido deal. Yeah, the zinc. I think it's the zinc. It's the zinc. Really? Mm-hmm. That's how they That's how they sell them, isn't it? Yeah. It's the zinc. Yeah, that's how they sell Oysters. Z- <laughs> that's how they sell Zycam, too. <laughs> yeah. Got a cold? Want a nut hard? <laughs> chop, chop, up, chop up this oyster and grill it. <laughs> Goes down, it's the drip. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of drips. Uh, that oyster drip, huh? Well, we gotta chop these oysters up. So he's working as a bellhop. In 1871, he is uh, 15 years old at this point. He meets a man named John Tusi. Comes to the uh, hotel there. And John Tusi was the new superintendent of Cornelius Vanderbilt, the Commodore. Oh. Oh. The Commodore had just finished building... The train shed. The world's the largest train shed in the world. The shed that fed into the station on 42nd Street that had just opened the Grand Central Depot, mm. which would eventually become the Grand Central Terminal. Yes. And Grand Central Station. Right. Now, here's the thing about trains back then, guys. Let me tell you something. Oh, baby. <laughs> 1826, the Mohawk and Hudson Railroad was founded. The first railroad charted in, uh, 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 in the United States connected the Mohawk River at Schenectady to the Hudson River at Albany and provided a way for freight and passengers to avoid the time-consuming locks on the Erie Canal between Schenectady and Albany. Of course. Yes. The magic of the Mohawk and, and Hudson. So convenient. Yes. Yeah. You no longer do you have to wait for the, you know, the water to do whatever, mm-hmm. you know, up and down and all that bullshit. Who's got time for that? Not me. I'm, I got to get eels to buy. <laughs> <laughs> that opened in 1831. 1833, the Utica-Schenectady Railroad was chartered, but they had to pay the canal toll because it ran parallel with the Erie Canal. So they, even though they're not doing the canal, they got to pay the toll? That's the power that, of the canal. That's, fuck, that's bullshit? Yeah. For the record. But yeah. you know what you do? You make more railroads. Hell yeah. 1836, Syracuse and Utica. 1834, which is earlier than 36, Auburn and Syracuse. That opened in 38. I had that right. Auburn then to, Auburn then to Rochester, 36. Tonawanda Railroad, west of Rochester, was chartered in 32, opened up years later. By 1853, 10 railroad companies were then merged into one, the New York Central Railroad. And just imagine. So goods arrive in New York City. They need to get west. You gotta get. They gotta get out there. They gotta get there. But we're, what, who's got the roads? Who's got the railroads? Well, there's, the roads are no good. No. And you need the railroads. So you take highwaymen. That's right. 
You got to charter a road. You got to charter a railroad. Charter a railroad. So you send it up to the Erie, you bring it all the way down to the Mississippi. Uh huh. I believe. I don't have the whole map, but well, that's my understanding. They're out there. Yeah. Maps. So Tusi was working for the greatest train station in the Western Hemisphere at this point. The, the Grand Central. Grand Central. And he, uh, he was a self-made man of sorts, a ratioologer type. Uh-huh. And he thought that he saw the same thing in this young Jim man. And he offered him a position as a baggage smasher. Baggage mm-hmm. smasher, they called it really? at the time. A baggage smasher. Yes. Oh, it's like a, like a thrower at the airport? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, baggage handler, they call yeah. them throwers. Yeah, because they're not really handling it. No, they're, they're pitching it. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, he had one rule for this, Jim. He said, uh, you can work for me, but at night you got to take uh, you got to go to school. And so during the day, Jim would smash bags, and at night he took classes in bookkeeping and penmanship. Hmm. I see something in you, boy. I don't know if it's the eel on your breath or what. <laughs> but you look like you could smash a bag. Have you ever beat the living shit out of baggage? <laughs> you ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> How's your penmanship? <laughs> That is that is a like a, a common feature of that time though is like mm-hmm. you know these these guys that take you under yeah. their wing and maybe try to fuck you. Yeah, but also I mean like it is you know, dude. If it gets me an education and a, some bags to smash, mm-hmm. I'll take a shot in the mouth. But acknowledging <laughs> acknowledging the the hustle though is is yes, is it's a very it's a very archetypal thing of like the, the you know the. Um, that um, the kind of apprenticeship in- relationship, yes. which is with, like by far and away, it's the best way to learn. Like all the greats through history, no matter what discipline they were in, they yeah. all learned through an apprenticeship well, the, the, model. The, the Napoleon Hill thing was like he was like I I I heard Edison was in New Jersey and he was uh, making tons of money doing new shit nobody knew about. So he's he's told the story of this guy that just went there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just went there. Mm-hmm. And was like, well, I'm here. Yeah. And he's like, well, what? what Got any work what, need what, doing, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with you? And he's like, I, 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 whatever. Edison, Edison probably said, to go steal some ideas <laughs> for me. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, you get can you, good. Can, <laughs> I want you to laugh while I electrocute this elephant. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it is that thing of just, you know, just somebody that's you can tell is going to get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's it's probably it's harder now to do that now that there's this kind of like industry behind uh, there's this machine of education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it's still possible to do that if yeah. you, if you're willing to take the risk to kind of Absolutely. just go out and just like, hey, what do you want me to do, and will you teach me? Yeah. And people people respect that shit. They do. And so he's 15 in 1871. He, uh, after 18 months of schooling, Tusi gives him a $3 a week raise. Today, that adds up to about $3,000 a year. Hey, that's great. And he got a new position as ticket agent and baggage master. No longer is he a baggage smasher. He's a baggage master. Uh, that's the next yes. level. Oh. By 1874, Tusi then becomes the GM of the Grand Central Depot. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the most coveted positions you can have there. And he brings uh, young Brady with him. Brady is now 21. And he's the chief clerk to the GM, and he's making fifty dollars a month, about uh, about fifty-eight thousand a year in our money. Huh. Twenty-one years old. Hey, that's not bad. Not bad for an uh, old uh, s- saloon boy. Yeah. Yeah. Eelmonger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As a chief clerk, he learns every th- every aspect of the railroads: uh, repair mm-hmm. costs, mechanical operation, corporate maneuvering. He's seeing every single piece of how a railroad is assembled, sold, shipped. Put uh, together. Yeah. I already said assembled. Uh, disassembled. Let's say that. But however, one thing happens. In 1877, 
Cornelius Vanderbilt dies. <gasps> and he leaves his train operation to his son, who, in order to remain competitive, decides to slash the wages of his workers. Good old American ingenuity. The son of a $75 million man in 1877. Yeah. And uh, uh, this caused a mass strike. But uh, Vanderbilt's son said about this, really, really uh, getting to know the workers, he said, although I may have my millions and they have the rewards of their daily toil, still we are about equal in the end. Uh, wow. Always out of touch. Yeah. And then something happens that no one knows exactly what. But Jim's brother, Dan, did something so heinous, no one has any... There's no recorded history of what it was. I don't want to talk about it. But it was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad that Tusi had to fire Jim from the railroad. Over his brother? Yes. Whoa. <laughs> you can't just fuck an eel, dude. <laughs> that eel was a kid. Yeah. And it was supposed to be delicious. That eel was a kid. <laughs> so dull. <laughs> that eel was underage. <laughs> that that that's really great. So this is a famous no. story where 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 <laughs> the the crime is so heinous that people are just ah, yeah, and we don't talk about it. We don't talk about. Jim it. would never say what it was, but perhaps what, is there any are there rumors? No. No, because there's the the recorded. There is not enough recorded. He didn't. There's not enough recorded history of, of mm. at the moment. Maybe I think people were pretty good about shutting up back then too. You know. Yeah, you just, shutting up had a lot of currency back then. <laughs> yeah, and like there was like there was like one piece of paper with the thing on it. You just like <laughs> right. eat it. Yeah, yeah, and you know it wasn't like you know fucking. You're not gonna. Do, there's no tell-all books. There's no superhead. Yeah, just gonna say there's no superhead. You better Super watch smash. out. This guy will catch you on film putting a finger up an eel's butt. I'll tell you who's running the railroads. I was in a train. <laughs> oh god, that's great. I'm sorry, continue. Uh, okay. Anyway, it was very heinous, whatever he did. Yes. It's better that we can speculate yes. on yeah. it. Yeah. It's because so much more We're going to be more creative than whatever he did. He probably just <laughs> he probably like, said hello yeah, to he... a colored folk or something like that. <laughs> he probably like, st- stabbed them so many thoughts at Vanderbilt or something. Mm. So Tusi, he, uh, he thought he, he, enjoyed, he liked this gym kid, but he also didn't want to just shove him out from the world and all of his knowledge would then be bought up by their competitor. Mm. So he said, well, what I'll do is I have a friend named Charles Moore. He's part of the railroad, railroad supply company Manning, Maxwell, and Moore. And uh, you can work for, why don't you go work for him? And uh, before he went, uh, someone said to Jimmy, you're going to be a salesman. You have to look the part. And so he decided he saved up $200 from his work, about $4,500 in our money. And with that, he bought a one-carat diamond ring and three suits. Wow. Back, that was back when, like, you wanted your salesperson to look uh, sleazy. Mm. Like, hey, he's got a diamond ring. He's got a... He's look, his, billions. His, his mustache is waxed and <laughs> greased. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, it, was, it wasn't... He's sweaty. It, 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 it looks like he has TB. <laughs> it wasn't sleazy back then. Right. It, it, yeah. it, it, it was a true sign of... Um, uh, accomplishment. Well, I mean, you might not even see a guy like that at all in right. a year. Yeah. Guy with a diamond ring shows? Forget mm-hmm. about it. You know? Like, this guy's got figure it figured out. Yeah. Obviously. Sell me. Yeah. 
And so they they took him on as a, as a young kid, and they gave, they they had uh they had a, a new type of hacksaw that was very good at at cutting uh, railroad parts. Um, and so they said, "You sell the hacksaw. Prove to us you're good by selling this one item." They were a company of thousands of items, and they said, "Sell this one item." And uh, he he sold well enough, but mainly he spent most he lost all of, like all of his money gambling. He would just he was a salesman and he would sit with people and gamble with them and his expense reports were just full of gambling debt. No shit. And so they were thinking about firing him and then uh, they were talking to him and they discovered that he had these notebooks. And so anytime he met someone and he learned their operation, he used his bookkeeping and his clerking uh, knowledge to then he he filled his notebooks with past, current, and future needs of every company he met. Oh my god. And so he knew exactly mm. what parts they would need, things they had bought in the past, what they would need in the future and what they had today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from this they offered him a raise and new position selling all of the equipment. And they offered him a salary and a commission on each sale and he said, "No, I don't want a salary. I want straight commission." Hell yeah. Because I have an idea that will make us both more money. Ah, old Diamond Jim with his harebrained schemes. I yeah, love it. it's uh, 50 grand on Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, his, his only other condition was an unlimited expense account. Oh, my oh man. I love it. Wow. And so he it's used... It's a write-off. His, yeah. Yeah. He, he was a great salesman. Uh, he used his Irish style. And one of the stories... Sorry, that, uh, what? <laughs> being Irish, you know. Yes. Talkative. Friendly oh, okay, bloke. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Charming. Yeah. yeah right. well, uh, yeah, John. Uh, don't act like you don't know. <laughs> right. Got it, got it. <laughs> so one of the stories they tell, uh, he said, uh, he went to this, I think a man was in Pittsburgh, a man hated salesmen, and he sat down in front of the guy's uh, office, and the guy just sneered at him and walked past and next day he was there again, same thing. Next day he was there again. Next day he was there again, same thing. On the fifth day, the guy turned to him and said, why are you still here? And uh, Jim Brady said to him, I've been waiting to tell you, sir, that you can go straight to hell. <laughs> and the man invited him to his office, and an hour later he left with a freight car contract worth $5 million. Oh, my God! Or he hun- negged him. Or $124 million in today. Oh, my God. Jesus. This guy showed up. You know, this is like those old stories of like, oh, how did how did how did you meet Grandpa? Well, he showed up at my doorstep and threw pebbles at my window <laughs> for four straight nights, and then he tricked me into fucking him and marrying him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Great. Uh huh. Great. I mean, but but that 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 fucking story. I mean, straight out of a movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, sir, can go straight to hell. I like Come you. on in. <laughs> I like the cut of your shit. Yeah. <laughs> you desperate asshole, get in here. Yeah. And so you celebrated this by buying Here's a... my daughter. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can have the contract on one condition. You put a baby in my daughter. <laughs> you celebrated this commission with a ring... A pair of cufflinks and a stick pin, all covered. She ain't the prettiest girl on the block, (laughs) but she's got a a pair of hips like a refrigerator. She's got a shape like an eel. (laughs) I know you city boys like eels and oysters. Well, she's slippery. That just smells like one. It's the zinc. (laughs) It'll make you nut. Can't you smell it? 
So uh, he bought up some cufflinks. So he bought some shit with it, and he started making some serious money. And I'm going to say blah, blah, blah. There's about 15 years of history that uh, maybe I'll cover in some random stories some other time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'll just say that in 1894... The Interstate Commerce Commission was looking to the affairs of the New Haven Railroad, and Brady was good friends with Charles Mellon, the president of the New Haven Railroad. As and, in the Carnegie Mellon? Nah, I don't think so. I looked it up. I thought so, too. but Because oh, all these names are it, so... It, it might have been maybe his son or something. His right. son was had some right. connection. But so he testified to the Interstate Commerce Commission that he had been awarded many contracts mm. and made uh, some pretty good money. And many of his contracts were worth, at the time, $7.5 million he was making straight commission on. In our, in our money, that'd be $220 million. Right. Straight commission. Well, but I'm sorry, how, do you know what his commission was? I don't. But... It, even if it's 1%. Right, right, of course. Which, yeah. which is, like, on, on big deals like that, if you can get a half a percent or percent, like, it's pretty standard. I mean, at least, like, I have friends that do, like, big real estate stuff or yeah. big lease deals and, like... One percent is not out of the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm totally talking out of my ass, but on two hundred twenty million dollars, yeah, nice, very nice, crazy. And now he started spreading his wealth around. He would throw parties. He would give money to friends. He started buying jewels. He started buying so many jewels. He got his nickname, Diamond Jim Brady. He never smoked or drank, but he had two vices, and one of them was diamonds. He had 21 sets of jewels, scarf pin, ring, shirt studs, cufflink. Each was worth each set was worth 1.2 million dollars. Oh that, my at that god. Time. His favorite was a diamond ring surrounded by rubies. It was so large it covered up three fingers from the base to the f- first knuckle. Oh my god. What? It's like a weapon. Yeah, basically. He had garter class suspender buckles and underwear and they were all ornamented with jewels. People said they knew what day it was based on what jewels he was wearing. And he Jesus. called them my pets. Yeah. Oh, he had a $200,000 pair of glasses with rose diamonds he bought for his dog. Wow. Thieves wouldn't rob him because only one man would have those jewels. Right. right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Who the fuck else has a diamond butt plug except this <laughs> idiot? <laughs> he had a $225,000 watch. <laughs> one time he showed up wearing a, a flag pin worth $87,000. The platinum base and the colors were made of precious stones. The oh handle God. of his umbrella was worth $37,000. In 1915, he was dancing and dropped a $100,000 ring. It was found by a cotton broker, and the man, a couple days later, later gave it back to him and then became one of his uh, party friends. Ah, party friends. Yes. Huh. They were chopping it up. Presumably. You right? hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Party friend, I thought you were going to say like he gave him a job or something. Well, yeah, he, he's part of his inner circle, of, right? Right. Yeah, that is a job, dude. You know, partying with you get table scraps. It's mm-hmm. yeah. better than most people's. Yeah. Uh, he he had a he had prostate inflammation. And he was treated at Johns Hopkins University because that diamond butt plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking Ruby Prince Albert. <laughs> Oh, my prostate's swollen. Sir, you have an emerald in your sphincter. Oh. I was wondering where I left that. So John Johns Hopkins treated his uh, prostate inflammation, and so How? as a reward, uh, through a, a... They expressed it? They... Manually? I, bl- I There was an insertion of sorts. Um, I forget what the procedure was, but it wasn't modern. We'll say that. Yeah. Huh. They milked them. 
You think? Yeah, dude. Guy like that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but uh, he was so happy with their work, he gave them, he gave them $150,000. they milked them. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's <laughs> all that zinc. <laughs> yeah. It's all those oysters made him all pent up in his state. Yeah, dude. Uh, a man named George Rector had this to say. He said he was an odd character. His name was derived from his jewelry. And when Diamond Jib had all his illumination in place, he looked like an excursion steamer at twilight. He had powerful diamonds in his shirt front that cast beams strong enough to sunburn an unwary pedestrian. Mm. He had diamonds in his cuffs and in suspender buttons fore and aft. He had diamonds on his fingers, and there was a rumor that he had a diamond bridge work. In his teeth? Uh, mm-hmm. But... He also had one other vice. And George Rector, who was the owner of his favorite restaurant, had this to say. He said, Brady is the best 25 customers I ever had. He was an eater. He was an eater. When he was 11, he looked 15. When he was 15, he was looked 21. When he was 21, he was fat. Yeah. Ah. The oysters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, you know, I think that was um, that was a thing. Uh, you know, a lot, of, um, a lot of Tommy Boy is actually based on Chris Farley stuff. And his dad was a salesman, and Chris Farley would go on the road with him, and he was talking about mm-hmm. it was always deals over steaks, and you'd yep. be in a steakhouse, and you would, yep. so it was like you would just get used to bullshitting and eating, but it was always like a lot of stuff sent, a lot of work centered around eating, mm-hmm. and um, people were saying, you know, they would go to um, a restaurant with Chris Farley, and he would like put in this like insane T-bone steak order, and he'd be like with the baked potato and uh, the, the the cream spinach and the, the corn, and I also uh, want to have, uh, you know, the blah, blah, blah. Okay, do you got all that? Times two. <laughs> Double the whole order, and then bring it to me. Fuck. Yeah. Well... So I mean I think I think I think it is I think it is kind of part of sales culture though. It it, it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, you know you you break it's a it's a vulnerable position yeah. eating like drinks and dinner. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it kind of like loosens the mood and it mm-hmm. um it disarms your your mark. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that was a big thing when I was in sales was like you know you take them out and it's you expense it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's an excuse to spend money and kind of. Throw money at somebody too. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it's nice. Yeah, a friend of his said that he once saw him eat a pound of candy in five minutes. I could, do, I could do that. He once you ate. <laughs> he once ate six cantaloupe and a quantity of eggs with, along with downing two quarts of OJ. A, a quantity of eggs. A quantity of eggs. Oh, mom, for breakfast I would like a quantity of eggs. Yes. According to George Rector, he would routinely begin his day with a hefty breakfast of eggs, breads, muffins, grits, pancakes, steaks, chops, fried potatoes, and pitchers of orange juice. He'd stave off mid-morning hunger by downing two or three dozen clams or oysters. Oh. Then repair to Delmonico's or Rector's for lunch that consisted of more oysters and clams, lobsters, crabs, and a joint of pie, beef, and more orange juice. Jesus Christ almighty. Did he have gout and diabetes? Um, Did he? Yeah, he, um, he had diabetes, cardiac disease, high blood pressure. Wow. In mid-afternoon, allegedly, came a snack of more seafood, followed by dinner. Three dozen o- oysters. The largest Lynn Havens were saved for him. Lynn Havens were oysters shipped from Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. They would send them in a barrel with four Mr. Brady painted on them. Probably wow. on the trains that he <laughs> fucking <laughs> built. You know? Yeah. He would have a dozen crabs, six or seven lobsters, terrapin soup, and a steak with a dessert of tray full of pastries, two pounds of bonbons. Terrapins are turtles, John. <laughs> <laughs> Later in the evening, allegedly, came an upright theater supper of a few game birds and more orange juice. Mm. 
And nearly every account of his eating basically says this, with the odd variation thrown in there. Uh, sometimes lobsters are followed by two canvasback ducks. Uh, or uh, sometimes after the canvasbacks, they would have a small lake of green turtle soup. A small lake. Oh, God almighty. A small lake of uh, turtle soup and a quantity of eggs to go. Mm-hmm. Double it, double it. Yeah, times two. That is just... I love... One of my favorite things is uh, is what you're doing right now, which is a list of food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like... The, oh, like Prisoner's Last Meals and shit? Prisoner's Last Meals or so like uh, in one of Bill Bryson's books, um, he talks about uh, Victorian eating habits and, and, and the landed gentry who and their extravagant eating habits and he just has this way he just lists like here was a typical dinner on a monday and it was just like game birds and meat pies and f- pastries and f- wines and fruit cakes and all and it just all for one dude yeah and mm-hmm. how much of it do they eat how much it's just it's you never think wow it's like the meal from Hook. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I wonder how much he threw away. Exactly. Right, yeah. You know? How much of it was just to, to, to order it? Yeah, yeah. The, you, want, you want the tastes. You don't actually want the meal. Right. But you want all the tastes. Yeah, which is why you go to a buffet, dude. Right on, dude. Right on. Well, when, uh, when he died in 1917, they don't say how or... You can speculate on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was, he was cremated, but before they did that... They did an autopsy, and it was discovered that his stomach was six times the size of an average stomach. Yeah. Wow. And one doctor speculates that he might have been missing the nerves between the stomach and the hypothalamus that inform you when you're full. Ah, the vagus nerve. He probably paid to have it, um... It replaced with a sapphire. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's where it was. Thought my dog ate it. I ate my dog. That is really insane. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of things that I didn't have time to get into. Maybe I'll get into another. It's time with Lillian Russell, where they're the most famous couple in America. Yeah. It's and, like Pistol Pete, who had half a heart. This guy had six times had the stomach. Six, there's so many connections between the Whoa. two of them. Yeah. And his brother who did whatever oh, that was. Whatever, yeah. who knows? whatever that Could was. Have been yeah, I think Pistol Pete's brother like, killed some kids in Nam, so. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ronnie? Yeah. Right. Oh, right. Ronnie, I think, is still... Ronnie's such a great brother name. Dude, Ronnie, like... He's <laughs> such a good brother name. Ronnie, like... Because I think Ronnie's still alive, and in interviews, like, Ronnie, you know, he's... He wears like dark sunglasses and he has his, like, <laughs> his Vietnam vet hat, you know? Oh, yeah, he wears yeah. like the hat that says like all that. Uh, and I'm not downplaying his service at all, but uh, he, I think he's still, I think he's a bartender on Bourbon Street. That doesn't seem like a good place for a guy with PTSD. Uh, well, I think he likes a drink. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that uh, makes but sense. he was a bartender in, in New Orleans when Pete was, was playing. Really? And yeah, and I think he's still out there. <laughs> I mean, he's still out there in the trenches, you know? Yeah, still out there talking about Hill 364. <laughs> Quezon. <laughs> I mean, what what a bummer bartender. Yeah. Mardi Gras! He's like, I saw my friends die. 
Do you want, oh, do you my, want mom, my mom shot herself when I was on the phone with her. <laughs> yeah. Do you want a Mai Tai or what? <laughs> you know, my brother uh, scored 44 points a game in college. Yeah, national, national treasure. Hurricanes are on sale. <laughs> Who wants cello shooters? <laughs> <laughs> Two for one Americans. <laughs> you guys want some piss or what? <laughs> if, the, if the tiger's win, it's half off. Speaking of half off, I once blew this kid's arm off. All the way off. He was still crawling. He still crawling. He still crawls in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, karaoke on Monday nights. <laughs> Vietnam vet bartender. Uh. <laughs> New Orleans yeah. bartender. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, man. oh my god. Dude, n- fucking Bourbon Street is a shithole. Yeah, I've never done it. Oh, man, I went, uh, shout out to Doug Dixon, we went to uh, New Orleans uh, for his bachelor party a few years ago. Really? Oh, it was great. That sounds fun. It was great, but fucking Bourbon Street is, um, it's like, uh, take, take the Vegas Strip. Yeah. Condense uh, it. Do what the guy that scientist did with piss, and <laughs> right. like boil it and dr- yeah. evaporate it, and yeah. then shake separate it up, it separate and boil it, let it, it again. sit it out in yeah. the sun, and yeah. mix some more piss in it, yeah, and then like just let it get all nasty and stratified, Ooh. and then uh, and then put it in um, a microwave. Jesus Christ! And then uh, hmm. that's Bourbon Street. <laughs> yeah, it's. A disaster. I, my friends are going through with their band one time, and um, they were asking the dude, and the dude was straight edge too, so he fucking hated that shit. Yeah. But he lived, you know, New Orleans, and, and <laughs> the were, rest of New Orleans is incredible. By no, the way. no, yeah. it's it's inc- it is absolutely beautiful, and Baton Rouge too, fucking amazing, like one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Mm-hmm. But people were kind of like, oh, you know, we'd like to go see like the New Orleans, you know, the the shit and whatever, and he's like. He's like, why don't we just stay here and I'll just throw up on your shoes? <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's like, yeah, we can do that. Yeah. I mean, that, isn't that a lot easier? Yeah. Um, I can play a Pitbull song. And yeah, puke. exactly. I can, I, can, I can piss everywhere so it smells accurate. So um, That was a great story, man. That Thank was you. a fantastic I liked, story. I, liked I, I, I wish I had a more, uh, but if, if we recorded this yesterday, there would have been less. So uh, big shout out. As always, to the L.A. Public Library. Shout out. Maybe the greatest library since Alexandria. Uh, after we recorded yesterday, I went home and I uh, found uh, an ebook about Jim Brady. Dial- uh, checked it out, downloaded it immediately, and then got two hours, three hours of information. That's awesome. Like it, was, it was the best place in the world. Shout out. To the public library system. The public library yes. system. And huh? the U.S. Postal Service. Yes. And the National Highway System. Ooh, mm. yeah. Good, good, good one. And the trains. Oh, yeah. I love trains. And trains. Yeah, trains. Amtrak. Yeah. Eels. Yeah, shout out to Eels. Mm-hmm. Shout out to uh, those little load factories of the sea oysters. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to a lonely little bartender in New Orleans. <laughs> Ronnie Maravich. Ronnie Maravich. I, I, I don't know if I this want to shout. This one's for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Two for one on uh, <laughs> iced teas. We never close. <laughs> Just like my eyes when I sleep, <laughs> we never close. <laughs> yeah, my brother was a weird guy. <laughs> Always fucking around with a ball. 
Silly. It's a kid's <laughs> game. <laughs> So um, I want to tell you, I mean, my buddy Scotty, uh, me and him, like, lived together when we were, like, 21 and shit, drinking piss all the time. And uh, he listens to the show, and he sometimes sends me some stuff. And uh, this one I, I got a little bit carried away with today, and um, it's uh, it's just about this guy from World War II who has, like, the most Anglo-English name, I think, of all time, right? Mm-hmm. This motherfucker... His name is John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill. What the oh, fuck? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? And uh, he was, he was, um, yeah, he was, he was in like a million different, uh, you know, parts of the British Army and stuff. And uh, he was uh, named, nicknamed Fighting Jack Churchill, uh, also Mad Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get a lot of nicknames when you have seven names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like you know born to like very uh, you know colonial British people in in Sri Lanka and stuff like that, ah. and um, no hyphens either. No, no, it's all just all of that. <laughs> what was Sri Lanka before Burma? Now you're asking the wrong guy. Well, I don't know. Unless you're asking Myanmar. Everybody. I don't know. Sri Lanka used to Ceylon. <laughs> I don't. Anyways, fuck you. So. <laughs> He uh, he he gets born into basically like a very kind of like esteemed family that sure. that they're they're very you know in tune with the army. They're going all around the world. They're somebody. They're yeah, churches. you know the sun never set on the British Empire, and these people were very much living that in the heyday of that uh, early 1900s and stuff like that. Sun never set on us out there. <laughs> <laughs> the sun went down. The trees came alive with men. <laughs> People are drawn out of trees. It's awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, coconut rum. (laughs) Sex on the beach, it is. You got it, sweetheart. uh, This guy, he goes to a military college in Sandhurst, and he he, he serves in Burma again with the Manchester Resident. And, you know, whatever. He leaves the army, and he's uh, worked as a newspaper editor in Nairobi uh, and Uh. Kenya, and he's uh, also as a male model. Oh wow! Mm. This guy looks kind of like a little fastbendery when you see him. Like, Ooh, yeah, yeah, he's got like a, a chiseledy kind of chin and stuff, and um, like very pasty white skin. But and he had good. he had all, yeah. he had all these uh, these these fucking archery skills, right? And he could also play the motherfucking shit out of the bagpipes, and that landed him a role in the 1924 film The Thief of Baghdad. Mm. 1924 and, film? Yeah, <laughs> The Thief of Baghdad. Yeah, featuring a man with bagpipes. And he also was in the 1938 film A Yank at, at Oxford. Um, he took second place in 1938 military piping competition, and uh, he represented Great Britain at the World Archery Championships in Oslo in '39. Jesus, the um, he you know takes up you know back with his old military pals when um, Germany invades Poland, and he uh, goes to um, the British Expeditionary Force in France. They so they're they're in the thick of it right away, and this guy he's he ambushes a German patrol. And uh, he's kind of like signaling the attack. He's kind of leading the way and stuff like that. And he's really, really good. And he's, but he's got a fucking, he's got a broadsword, right? <laughs> he's, he said, um, any In man. 1939. Who, yeah, any man who enters combat without his broadsword is uh, underdressed, he would say. Hell yeah. And it's like, nobody was doing that then. I mean, a broadsword's pretty 
big. Yeah. It must have been pretty. It glints you know, in the you know sun. What, you know what else is big? Is the other thing you had with him, which is a long bow. Ah. You know, Aaron. Uh, 400 yards. 400 yards. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, I was watching, uh, I was watching this movie Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. So it's a Western and all that stuff. And these guys just getting like fucking just arrows. They're just, they're sitting ducks out there in the old West and these, these, uh, savages, cannibals, these, they call troglodytes. Mm. Or sh- that's what they were called in the movie. <laughs> they're, sh- they're just fucking lighting them up with these arrows and th- throwing bone tomahawks at them. And I was like, if you're a cowboy and you don't have a shield, what are you doing? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Why do you not have a shield? Well, you got a hat. <laughs> they can't see you if you put the head over your oh, Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like yeah, the yeah. boogeyman. Yeah. Well, it's hot out. <laughs> Get a shield, life hack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a wooden board, you could just Anything hold it. Anything just yeah. to stop these rudimentary arrows yeah. from piercing your well, lung. Well, I got this handkerchief. Yeah. <laughs> I've got this long piece of straw I'm chewing on. I got this, th- I got this shit here that protects my thighs. Yeah, yeah I got some From rubbing chaps. against this fine mare. So dumb. Get a shield. So yeah, I, I it, 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 it was it was uh, strange. Yeah, no protection, just leather a leather vest. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. a gingham shirt. And hoping that your your gun would solve it fast, but it wouldn't. No, no, no. It was a six shooter. They were the hundred yards away. The best offense is a good defense. Hmm. And that is a shield. <laughs> uh, so he was he was fighting at Dunkirk, um, and then he volunteered for uh, the Commandos, which his younger brother was in. And his younger brother later wrote a book about it called Commando Crusade, talking about their experiences during the war. Mm. And um, their youngest brother, Robert, also known as Buster, served in the Royal Navy, and he was killed in action in 1942. So the whole gang was really involved in it. He was second in command of a number three commando uh, of number three commando in Operation Archery, which mm. was a raid on the German garrison in Norway in December '41. I wonder who named that one. Yeah, uh, he was second in command. Uh, the ra- as the ramps fell on the first landing craft, he leapt forward from his position, playing "March of the Cameron Men" on his bagpipes. Jeez. In addition to the longbow and the broadsword, there's bagpipes. bagpipes. Right. Yes. 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 So all of this shit. Was this man a dandy? I think he was more of a, uh, um, um, he, he seems, he's, well, first of all, you're playing a song going into, I mean, the, the, the ramps have just dropped and yes. you're going into enemy fire. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and like Scotty said, he's like, who is not going to aim at the guy making this god awful racket? Well, maybe it's that thing. Like it's so brazen. Uh, yeah. That they just confuse but but, yeah. uh, but also, uh, you're going to shoot the guys with the guns first. Yeah, the guy with sure. the bagpipe yeah, is really not, no threat yeah. at all. <laughs> Other it's than the music. Brilliant. The music is painful, obviously. Yes, yes, of course. So he plays that, and then he throws a grenade and charges into battle. Like, oh, he got a grenade his, his, the whole time? With a yeah. broadsword. Yeah, but I mean, there's, I mean, can you imagine? It's like, oh, when I get done playing this song, then I'm going to throw a grenade and, <laughs> and run in with my broadsword. Wait till they see the final act. <laughs> and everybody else is like, why does that guy have uh, three things? None of us have. <laughs> well, we gave him a grenade. <laughs> Here's your one grenade. <laughs> and um, wish we had a shield. for his actions at Dunkirk and this uh, Norwegian battle, he reserved the military cross. Mm. Uh, then he goes on to Italy, 1943. He's still just going at it, and he's uh, commanding officer, Captain he, Bagpipe over here. <laughs> he, uh, he from the landing site at uh, Catania in Sicily with his trademark. Scottish broadsword slung around his waist, a longbow and arrows around his neck, and his bagpipes under his arm. Oh my god. He comes out the same way. What's his name? 
Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, it's like eight fucking white boy names in a row. Yeah. John Malcolm Thorpe Fleming Churchill. This is Mad Jack or uh, Fighting Jack. Fighting Jack Churchill. Mad Jack McWaspy. Mc, uh, <laughs> but I mean, so great white hope. So he comes out with the, um, you know, I mean, at multiple landings. These three items, all I mean, what a fucking racket! It's awesome. I mean, what a gigantic target! I mean, without the noise, just these three gigantic items. I mean, you are just, and you're the first one off the boat leading the charge. It's brilliant. How he yeah. didn't get mowed down? Because they look at him and go, they immediately not a threat. Focus on the yeah. other guys. Yeah, isn't that guy a male model from? Look at him. I know that guy. <laughs> I saw him in the old newspaper. Those dockers. <laughs> he looks. So, I mean, he looks great. This guy, he would. Uh, he, he, you know, he was. He was good at, you know, doing that. That down and dirty kind of Saving Private Ryan stuff that you see where you got to capture the town and, you know, infiltrate it and then, you know, liberate it from the inside and let, you know, all, yeah, he was doing all that stuff. and Seduce all the women in the town. Women. It must be right. tough to be a spy when you're the only guy with a broadsword, a bow, yeah. and bagpipes. And you're so good looking. <laughs> so... Yeah, he, he, so he captured this town of Molina and with the help of a corporal, he in, corporal, he infiltrated the town and captured the post, taking 42 prisoners, including a mortar squad. And don't forget, these are the Nazis. Like, yeah. this is no joke. This yeah. is very, very serious warfare. Yeah. And this jackass with bagpipes is 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 making shit happen, you know? I love it. And uh, so he uh, he received another medal for this shit in Italy. He he uh, he lost his 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 sword uh, in the in the middle of the town in hand to hand combat, and he was going back to get the sword. And he ran into this American company that was kind of disoriented, and they were going the wrong way. The lads is over here. Yeah, and he was like, he was like, uh, he was like, you know, you're, you're fucking heading straight towards enemy lines there. Don't go that way. And they were like ignoring him or whatever. And he's like, well, I'm not going back that way a third time. Right. <laughs> okay, so that's the end of it for I've me. I've got to shoot in Dubai later. <laughs> he goes on to uh, Yugoslavia now. He leads the commandos in Yugoslavia, where there's uh, supported the uh, Tito's partisans, uh -huh. and uh, he was ordered to raid the the German-held island of Brock. He organized a motley army in quotes of 1,500 partisans, 43 commando, and one troop uh, from 40 commando for the raid. The did, he, did he run into Mo Berg? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The landing was unopposed, but then uh, they they start coming under some German fire. The partisans bail immediately. The partisans, the fifteen hundred partisans, <laughs> the vast majority of the motley army are like, no thanks, mm -mm. and uh, they're like, we're gonna do it tomorrow. Yeah. And we gotta like, go get our swords and bagpipes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Churchill's bagpipes fucking light up and uh, like signal, we're going ahead anyway. And um, oh my god, he's playing B flat. <laughs> yeah, then they got. They're but, gonna get fast, but then they, but guy. then they got, uh, they got um, kind of strafed by a RAF uh, plane, a Spitfire, and then he was like, "Okay, we are actually gonna pull back for tomorrow because we, we, I don't want everybody getting." There's RAF or Luftwaffe. R RAF. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, kind of like accidental friendly fire. Oh no shit! Well, because there's so few people going into battle, it's easy to light them up. Right. You don't really see them. Well, the 1500 the are back in the base. Yeah, and the bagpipes, it's hard right. to identify mm. them. Do I recognize the broadsword mm. bagpipes? So he, um, the following morning, uh, the flanking attack was launched by the 43 Commando with Churchill leading the elements from 40 Commando. The partisans remained at the landing area. Only Churchill and six others managed to reach the objective. Wow. A mortar shell killed or wounded everyone but Churchill. Jesus. Who was playing, will you know, come back again? On the bagpipes. <laughs> like, like a Scottish song from like the 1700s. Will you know come back again? 
<laughs> Will you no come back again? Yeah. It's almost beautiful. Yeah, on his pipes as the Germans advance. So I'm finishing the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For my friends that are shredded by mortars. Finishing the fucking song. And he's like, uh, so he gets uh, knocked unconscious by grenades and he gets captured. And he's flown to Berlin for interrogation and then transferred to the Sachsenhausen concentration camp. Now, at this concentration camp, um, Churchill and a Royal Air Force officer crawled under the wire, through an abandoned drain, tried to escape, get to the Baltic coast. They were captured again, taken back. And it's late April 45. Churchill and 140 other prominent concentration camp inmates, high-ranking military people, whatever, are all transferred to Tyrol, which is guarded by SS troops. Oh, I've been there. Uh, have you really? It's in Austria. Really? Uh. A delegation of prisoners told senior German army officers they feared they would they would be executed. A German, ar- a German army unit commanded by Captain Wickard von Alvensleben moved in to protect the prisoners against the SS. Right. The out, outnumbered, the SS guards moved out, leaving the prisoners behind. The prisoners were released, and after the departure of the Germans, Churchill walked 93 miles to Verona, Italy, where he met an American armored unit. Guys, I have a secret. <laughs> I smuggled in my bagpipes in my ass. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> We lost a lot of good men out there. <laughs> fortunately, I think our... there's a fucking sapphire in there, dude. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, one of the uh, Scottish guys smuggled a bagpipe and a broadsword up his ass. <laughs> Anyways, two Irish car bombs. <laughs> so, off to Burma now. The war is still on in the Pacific, right? Fuck. This guy just never ends. He, uh, he goes there, and the, the, some of the largest land battles against Japan are being fought. By the time Churchill reached India, Hiroshima and Nagasaki had been bombed and the war ended. Churchill was said to be unhappy with the sudden end of the war, saying, If it wasn't for those damn Yanks, we could have kept the war going another ten years. Reasonable, man. What a fucking maniac. This is such complete, a fast bender, dude. Complete psychopath. Complete psychopath. And then, uh, what do you do except uh, go on to British Palestine? Uh, uh, right? Yeah. And uh, so he, he, you know, there, there, there's uh, stuff going on there. He, you know, uh, they're, they're going to transfer power to the, you know, the Israelis and stuff like that. There's Arab attacks. He, like, contradicts direct British orders, gets involved in some of those. And um, he does insanely brave things in these battles. Like, walks out in front of, like, 150 people with guns aimed at him. And uh, just basically like dares them to fire on him kind of thing. Was he like, playing the bagpipes? No, no. He's uh, doing the robot? <laughs> <laughs> He's just inventing dance moves now. What's he doing? Um, yeah, he, so uh, there, was, there was kind of a massacre that, uh, that, that he, um, he, he started fighting back against when, you know, the British were kind of basically told, don't start trouble, you know, just get the fuck out of there. But when, you know, there was kind of Arab people slaughtering a, 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 a hospital full of... Uh, you know, doctors and nurses and shit. Obviously, he started kind of fighting back. And he coordinated the evacuation of 700 Jewish doctors, students, and patients from the hospital after the massacre. And um, and the street leading to the hospital afterwards was named Churchill Boulevard. Mm. Yeah. Um, he goes on to do more movies. Uh, Ivanhoe, shot uh, in Britain, featuring Churchill's old rowing companion, Robert Taylor. The, stu- the studio hired Churchill to appear as an archer shooting from the walls of Warwick Castle. Ah, 400 yards. 
Australia, years later, he serves in as an instructor and in, uh, the Land Air Warfare School in Australia, where he became a passionate devotee of the surfboard. Ah, <laughs> yes. the bagpipes hanging ten. <laughs> what the f- He was the first man to ride uh, back in Britain the River Severn's five-foot title board and designed his own board. During this time back in Britain, he worked at a desk job in the Army. He retired from the Army in 59 with two awards of the Distinguished Distinguished Service Order. In retirement, his eccentricity continued. He startled train conductors and passengers by throwing his briefcase out of the train window each day on the ride home. <laughs> wait, 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 what? what? <laughs> on the ride home, he ah, throws briefcase out of the train window each day. I got another one. <laughs> yeah, that's nothing. He later explained. Don't tell he later explained he was tossing his own his case into his own backyard. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's what he was bored an ass. <laughs> the train yeah. went by his house, yeah. ah! so he's like, I don't want to have to carry it. Yeah. I'll just throw it in the back. Hate to walk home with all these stuff. <laughs> but on the train, he looks like a fucking yeah. psychopath. Hey, probably he's like, all right, kids, your stops here. Yeah. He tosses the baby. And, uh, yeah, he was into don't like. Don't worry, it's my yard. <laughs> it's my yard. <laughs> He uh, he he got into sailing uh, coal-fired ships on the Thames and playing with radio-controlled model warships. He died at 89 years of age in County uh, Surrey in 1996. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. He lived to see uh, Betelgeuse. Yes, yes, he did. Movie. He Pretty did. Um, no relation, of course, to uh, the the famous Winston Churchill. Mm. They come from two separate sets of Churchills. Going back centuries, mm-hmm. hmm. but I mean, what what, what a fucking cycle! That's <laughs> amazing. That's uh, yeah, great. I uh, like what 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 what? Yeah, fuck saving Private Ryan. That, yeah. I want to see that shit. Yeah, or even I mean, but that's that's also the same thing with Patton too. Patton has that stuff where it's like he he, he would just he would be right in the thick of it, and you know he he wouldn't even have shit. He didn't have like a fucking gun or right, anything. Right. But he would just be like, I'm here. Yeah. And I'm still alive right now, so there's no excuse for any of you to be scared. Right. If this jackass is playing the fucking bagpipes and has fucking equipment from the last century, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe a, that's the may, secret. May, maybe, maybe a grenade if you're lucky. Yeah. You know, it's like wow. it is. Uh, I mean, the only jackass that got to the objective was the idiot with the bagpipes and the longbow. That's how it works. That's like, yeah, it's the Hunger Games shit. <laughs> you need, I don't want the, the thing that can run out of ammo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, it's, um, what a life. It's a uh, very, um, kind of orwell too, you know, grows up in colonial Britain, sure. goes around the world, and... It's cultured, and, and then... Yeah, yeah, you know, but it's also... Very, it's a Roosevelt thing, too. Yeah, and, like, you know, I guess, like, you know, people that would grow up in that kind of, like, colonial Britain stuff would also have such a, a reverence for Britain. Right, true, yeah. You know, so... Yes, and we're gonna go out and fight for the old Union Jack and all Yes, yes, we're gonna... Yeah. We're teach and these... Learn these savages a lesson in, in dignity. Yes, yes, yes. And when the boat landed, I was playing the bagpipes of all things. Did you believe it? Could you go... Ah, those lousy Hun bastards with uh, repeater rifles, and I had I had my uh, antique broadsword and my bagpipes. I, I, I say I, I taught them uh, I taught them uh, a thing about the two about keeping a stiff upper lip. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, <laughs> but it, it is. I think also kind of the madman factor too, where it's like, I mean, if you show up to the fight playing the bagpipes, 
Yeah, you like, you are mm. saying I am. Yeah, I'm crazy. I am the greatest pervert. Yeah, I am a total chaos. <laughs> oh, I, I am the Marquise. I am the Marquise. Also, there was probably another guy who played the bagpipes, but he died. <laughs> right. He was just so going. no one told his story. I mean, like, there was a guy with a tuba. <laughs> how, how the bagpipes didn't take a bullet and then make the saddest sound ever and completely deplete morale. I mean, that would be like the thing where it's like, oh, he fucked up the bagpipes. The bagpipes. Or that's when he went, that's when he went nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they shot his bagpipe. And he just went like full on John Wick. On yeah, the yeah. Army. He went fucking Rambo Four, <laughs> but with arrows and a broadsword. <laughs> you drew it for us, blood. <laughs> it's that's, pretty. It's a great story, John. That is great. Pretty good stuff. But I really like that part about the German guy, um, just seeing the end of the war and being like, "We can't kill all these guys. We is just it... have to stop this kind of this this other wing mm. of the sort of not military like the SS." Mm-hmm. Because like right. they're not really military, right. but they're military. They're like paramilitary, sort of. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they're this extension of Hitler's thing that's doing all this shit that we're all kind of iffy about. Yeah. And uh, and if if and we're cooks and, now, and then if they and, see the writing on the wall, they're gonna go away. What well, and start probably start their own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it was a good idea to to uh, rein them in a little bit. Yeah, I mean it's also probably because they were high ranking. Yeah, they they know. If it was that... a camp full of Jewish people, they'd be like, oh, "Tough luck." Looks like we misplaced some. Yes, but if if Jack uh, uh, Flames, yes, bagpipe O'Hulahan. Yeah, yeah, bargaining chips. That's what it yeah. is. We know what's going to happen, and we wanna... and the chips worked because then he came back and testified on his behalf later. Yes, he was a good old chap. Yes, 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 Despite yes, his yes. barbarian roots, I say he was a good old <laughs> chap who, who let me come back to old Agatha. That's the name of my. Well, sword. I mean, also, I mean, you know, a lot of those guys. I mean, I think about the officer class. And and right. and and, right, and the, right. the the the, 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 royal, the the fucking royal families were related. Mm-hmm. So it's like those all they would be. Like, I mean, like the fucking the the thing is the Brits almost went with them. Yeah, and uh, thank God they didn't and became very anti-Nazi. Yeah, but the Brits were really on the fence about it, and yeah. it doesn't really get talked up enough. Because luckily things aligned that they went pretty hard the other way. Yeah, but there was a lot of politicians and a lot of royals that were like. This isn't so bad. Lindbergh, Charles, not... Charles Lindbergh was like a huge Nazi mm-hmm. enthusiast. Yeah, uh, and a lot of the United States at that time we had was you know before the Nazis. Well, there, had there, a was a, there was a so, this, there was a, a socialism communism about him that that was believed to be uh, utopian and noble. Yeah, and then uh, when, and they borrowed all the eugenic stuff from us. When, when the reality of it came out, there was a first denial, and then there was rejection. Yeah. And uh, even for the Communist Party, when the, what Stalin did, yeah. it took the Communist Party in America a long time to to fully divert the you know split from Stalin. Wow, yeah, Whew, man. I mean, they they just had all those good paintings. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, their stuff looks so fucking. You know, you drill. got a good yeah. thing going, and then you just go and commit like mass genocide. Yeah, and that's—I guess I'm speaking about both of those regimes. Actually. Yeah, yeah, and you know, in the United States the United, as well. Yeah, you know, the, you know not a lot of Native Americans left. Dude. No, 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 there's not. The 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 thing about Very Stalin few. that's so interesting though is just like the 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 bread of paranoia. 
so much of it is just paranoia. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, it it encouraged that 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 was the thing about communism was that it encouraged you to snitch. Yeah. On your neighbor. Yeah. That some of these other regimes didn't didn't have. Yeah. I, I think that's probably I don't know if that's unique to if it is a Russian culture thing or if it's it's a just a communism thing or a thing of the time. But like, it was yo this guy is doing better than me. Let's let's kill him. Let's undermine him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's snitch on him. Maybe I can take his stuff. Maybe yeah. I can take his bagpipes. He's got always yeah. got a record player. Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was just oof, man. I couldn't imagine. Can't we should imagine. have uh, we should have Radiston come on and talk about communism because he grew up. Uh, yeah, he's under a some communist. Son of a yeah, bitch. yeah. The the, the, <laughs> the thing I think Rad uh, told me about or was it you, man? I'm not sure. It uh, could have been both. The um, <laughs> the East Germany <laughs> stuff was like uh, it was like fucking like. Like, I mean, something absolutely absurd. Like, three out of four people was a government informant. I remember hearing about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was so it was so they knew everything, everything, everything. That if you were doing anything um, uh, problematic for the powers that be, they would they would just uh, come in your house and move stuff around. Yes, yeah, yeah. We know. just, we, just know. we know, we know, and now you know, mm-hmm. and now uh, try to continue with your regular routine <laughs> after finding that out. <laughs> That you don't know what we're going to do next, or when, or if we will at all. Or if you're losing your fucking mind. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we don't know anything, and we just decided to move your couch. Yeah, maybe we just wanted to fuck with you. (laughs) Yeah. Disinfo. I mean, that is next level. The mind fuckery and psychological warfare is... um, so but I, dystopian. I also yeah. think about just the the, the how, how much fucking paperwork for that many snitches. Uh, but you know, there's someone's job. It's someone's job to do paperwork. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, when you're collecting that much info, like it's like you know, the NSA, it just goes into a computer. They don't fucking go through it until right. they're looking for something. Right, right. It just gets stored there. True, yeah. This was back in the right, day yeah. where like you had a fucking like micro- clickety clacky yeah. typewriter. Well, I appreciate and that. microfilm and shit. I love, yeah. I love spreadsheets, you know. I know, I know. So, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah. Maybe not the 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 fuckery, right? But certainly, certainly, the organization. The yes. 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 And well, then she said <laughs> that he might be interested. <laughs> in quotes. And then we move. In parentheses, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, also, I also like. I think I. What, what's interesting to me is also the stuff that's not kept on paper, like the the, the true intellectual capital and like those type of secrets, where like it's just. While like, while the secrets that are too valuable to ever be put down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or the secrets that you know become the game changer, or like in in kind of a, a departed way. Right. You know. Yes. He's, Where it's like, he's, oh, he's uh, an FBI informant. He, yeah, he's a fucking. He's a like like you're like oh everything I knew was wrong. Like yeah. I mean, um, like Laura was saying on the program uh, on the Patreon thing where it's like all your fucking. All your handlers, all your USSR handlers, turn on you because they want—they know that their side is losing and want to come to America. <laughs> so you get sold out by your handler that was paying you for American secrets. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's like the double cross of the double cross. Like that is just like so next level. Everyone's always someone's. Everyone's playing everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and yeah, bigger fish have more value. Yeah, you know. Hey, you know, it was a good movie, Atomic Blonde. Oh, didn't see it. Yeah, Charlize Theron takes place in 1984 in Berlin, 
and she's like a spy and shit, and uh, it's all about this. And it's, it's you know, it's like her John Wick, and it wasn't bad. Did you watch Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? No, no, it didn't have Charlize Theron naked in it. <laughs> no, it's got a lot of uh, British men in it, clothed. Uh, Any okay. bagpipes or swords? No. No, it's actually very, very subtle, but it's really Yes, it's really got Gary good. Oldman. Yes. It's got Gary Oldman. Is he naked, though? It's got though? Uh, Firth. It's got... Is he mm-hmm. naked? Maybe Fastbender too? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't He's think Fastbender. The cast for it is absolutely... Yeah, it was Oscar all... bait when it came out, and it looked but incredible. But it really delivers. Really? It really delivers It doesn't on... have Charlize Theron or The Clash or anything like no, that. No, and it's not mm-hmm. flashy. Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. not. It's showing you what actual spy work is like, mm-hmm. which is really cool, where it's like... Typing. <laughs> it's a yeah, lot it's, of... it's a lot of guys in drab suits that get together. <laughs> And they're like, oh, it's a very brown movie. It's a very brown and plaid movie. Yes, yes. Atomic yes, Blonde yes. is very neon. Mm, yes, Bleach Blonde. Right. Uh, James McAvoy. Oh, uh, John Goodman. Yeah, I think you'd like it. It was a surprise for me. Yeah. Good music. Yeah, I got to check it out. Yeah. You should watch Tinker's Taylor. It's really why don't good. we do a double feature? Sure. Wow, look at that. And then we'll say whose is better. Yeah. We'll have Nick decide. <laughs> Nick will complain about both. Yeah. And then he'll come to love both. <laughs> Nick is my roommate. He's a good man. Nick Shapiro, shout out. He is. He filmed he a little is, bit yes, of us doing yes. the INLA episode. Yes, he did. Right. Did mm-hmm. we ever put that up? No. Good. We're going to keep it. it Fuck him. It's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> Word of mouth. Um, I uh, I don't think we have any, do we have anything else to announce? Do we? No, I don't think so. I think we're good. We're I, good. Uh, Fun. Yeah. yeah, guys, we will see you here uh, sooner than later. Matt's going on a little trip, and then we'll be back. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm disappearing into the. You're gonna come back. Woods? You're gonna come back uh, with a little something for us. You're gonna us. come back weird. Oh yeah, I hope and so. Eccentric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I'm coming back with uh, maybe a two parter. Yes, Ooh. that's very very exciting. Very very excited about that. Um, until then, folks, we love you. My name is John Fahey. My name is Aaron Peter. Napper Soap. Good night, guys. Bye.